Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode we're continuing our Nature Run Amongst kind of uh, revival of the 90s with Deep Blue Sea and Lake Placid. I'm Michael and Kersey's on their side. Hey, how's it going? I don't think I introduced you on the last episode. I'm sorry. Yeah, everyone knows who I am at this point. But yeah, if you're if you're a fan of this, this uh, I guess, it's not style of episode, but we have very particular things we talk with each guest host. And uh, we always like the, the the cult stuff, the horror stuff, you know, that kind of stuff. I I screwed up for him, though, because somewhere along the way I was talking about Masters of Horror. <laughs> and you watched all of it, didn't you? Yeah. Oops. So we'll do that no, next. No, no, I didn't. I'm just okay. joking. I only watched a couple. Oh, okay. So we, we can probably still finish our Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise run for Christmas. Oh, for sure. Um. All right. So Lake Placid. Of all of these nature run amok monsters attack kind of thing, this one seems like the one that was intentionally made the way it was. It wasn't. It's legitimately funny, not campy funny. It's trying its best to be like a mainstream, like Tremors, like that kind of monster movie where it's trying to have uh, fun but also still being scary and really good effects and a great, like a, a top of the line cast for a small budget movie. Yeah, it's definitely the most, out of, out of the ones that we watched recently, the most mature. Yeah. The, yeah. I'll use that word. Well, and it's, it's a lot of it helps is that David E. Kelly, not known for doing this kind of movie, I don't know why he wrote this kind of movie, he's known for his TV shows. He writes a lot of the lawyer shows that were popular, like Ally McBeal, The Practice, you know, uh, Boston Legal, stuff like that. Um, so it's just strange, out of all his filmography... This one weird monster movie in the middle makes me wonder if he wrote it before all of that stuff. Like they found a script from his college years or something. And it's so funny because last episode we talked about uh, Anaconda, and somewhere along the way we got a fucking Lake Placid versus Anaconda, which is weird because Lake Placid is not a creature; <laughs> it's a place. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's like, like the, it's like the whole Frankenstein thing. Yeah, it, yeah, you're right. Uh, so the first one was a decent size hit in theaters, and one of those that just blew up on video. And we got a few sequels, and then, like I said, it, the whole thing kind of ended with uh, Lake Placid versus Anaconda, and that's kind of way a lot of these franchises went. Even Deep Blue Sea, while it took forever to get a sequel, again, there's a couple straight to video sequels. Yeah, and I would say that uh, Anaconda. Anaconda, oh my god, sorry folks, that uh, Lake Placid um, and Deep Blue Sea are definitely kind of the most high budget of the ones that we yeah. watched recently, uh, and definitely have a sort of grander vision. And it moves really fast, it's only 80 minutes long, and it's the kind of thing that you usually expect from like a lower budget movie because they don't have the money, or, or it's got to play with a double feature back in the 70s. And it doesn't waste a minute. It sets it up. You get to introduce your characters, but it doesn't. It doesn't cut their characters. They're constantly developing the characters as this goes along, instead of stopping everything just to focus on the the monster attacks. Yeah, I, I do have one character that I don't really understand, which uh, is the guy that shows up to swim with the gator. I don't. Uh, I don't understand that character or why they put him in the movie it's very peculiar i don't even remember but that is it oliver platt's character the heavy set guy yes. oh he yeah. wanted how do i've seen this movie numerous times i didn't even realize that he wanted to swim with the crocodile i just thought he was studying it too 
Son of a bitch. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that was always that was his thing. See, that was the thing that made me laugh really hard when it first happened because I wasn't sure if they were serious or not. But like, a guy shows up in a helicopter and she's like, "Oh God, it's him!" And it's like, "Who is he?" It's like he he swims with with every gator in the world or something like that. That's it was bizarre. Like, that is way too specific of a niche for a person to actually do. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> If it was a TV show, it would be like four episodes, and he died on the last episode. It's like in the credits. <laughs> At the same time, though, he was fantastic. Oh, fucking Oliver Platt comes up to play. <laughs> yeah, even even when he doesn't have much to work with, he's so much fun to watch that you can't yeah. help it. Um, so this is from director Steve Miner, who started off with horror films, and he's another one like Dwight Little on Anaconda 2 is he would sporadically fit other movies in with horror. And he was kind of riding high at this point because he had just come off of Halloween H2O and then would crash so fucking hard <laughs> with Texas Rangers. No, I know you haven't heard of it. Um, it was a $30 million Western that got released for one weekend and lost a crap ton of cash. Then he did that Day of the Dead remake. Oh, no. Sweet, sassy, molassy. Um, they, they took out all of the commentary. Yeah, and that was that was basically it for him. Now he's just a TV guy. Uh, but he did House. He did Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3. He did Warlock. So his first stuff is like low budget but fun. And I think he brings a lot of that aesthetic to this is that he knows how limited his budget is. So he puts his money in very quick shooting and really good actors who can do what they need to in a, in a, without like, oh, take 10, take 15, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it is interesting the way that it's structured is very much like the style in which it's shot is very much a comedy. Yeah. Um, but it has a lot more to offer than that. And I love the chemistry between our leads. Bill Pullman and Bridget Fonda are so much fun together. Yeah. And Brendan wow. Gleeson is a rotten little shit, but you fucking love him anyway. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, that was, uh, man, that must have been, is that early in his career? Or late yeah, well, that's the first time I had seen him. I think he was just doing yeah. movies over in the UK, and then this is kind of his first American thing. Yeah, and I mean, he's always fantastic. He and Oliver Platt, whatever whatever they're getting up to is always the, like the highlight. Whenever they're on screen together, I, I like I just have to pay attention. Yeah. Oh, and Betty White. This is the beginning oh, of that yeah. trend with very vulgar old ladies. People forget this, and this is kind of the revival of her career too because she had basically been just known for Golden Girls for years. And then she comes out and does this, and then for like the next 20 years of her career, she's like the outrageous old lady. Yeah. I hope he swallows your asses whole. <laughs> you, what do you go? You fuck faces or something like that? <laughs> it was a shock at the time. Hey, well, I mean, what a cast too. For yeah, this. seriously, they for, for such a silly concept. Yeah, well, I and thank goodness because usually horror comedies don't do well, and I think this is a weird window, like around the time that Ghostbusters had back in the eighties where people wanted their horror movies to also be fun. Yeah. I think we've lost that. I feel like most of the movies that come out now have to be absolutely dead serious, and every once in a while a good horror comedy will come along and it doesn't make a dime. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, um, God, what was it? Um, God, Don't Sell the Dead, or what was that one? Try to sell itself as like a horror comedy. Is it, it the very... dead don't die? 
Dead Don't Die, yeah. yeah. It just ended up kind of just being bland. and. Yeah. Well, I think the last one that really made money was Zombieland. I feel like that was the last full-on horror comedy. Yeah, then the sequel happened and nobody cared. Yeah, I forgot even existence until you just said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in the Gator, the Gator's designed by Stan Winston. I mean, come on, you're talking about one of the masters. And it looks really good, the texturing they do on it and the way that the puppetry, I, I thought it was fantastic. There's only like two digital shots of the ga- the Gator, really. And yeah, they? they built like the whole thing, right? Yeah, and it's just it, they shoot it fast and quick or whatever so it doesn't look stupid. Um, and then they, then they blow one of them up. Yeah. Oh, and the, yeah. I thought it was interesting. They they finally showed like the gator rotating, and that's something that is really hard to pull off earlier. Like I think we watched Alligator, like a couple, maybe three years ago for the show. That was one of the very first of those giant monster kind of things, and uh, they had to do all these cut shots and use miniatures and stuff like that because they couldn't build a full size alligator. Mm. Yeah. I don't remember that. Um, yes, it was long. It was one of the very first we did once we rebooted the show. Um, I think it was still called, uh, Thrill Me at the time. Oh, okay. That, that era. Yeah. Um, so our second film is Deep Blue Sea and holy fucking shit. I know that it's stupid. I know there's some stuff in it that just doesn't work and God damn it. It's an entertainment machine. It is yeah. <laughs> balls to the wall, doesn't give a shit about reality. It is there to entertain you. It's a disaster movie and a monster movie. Yeah, but also like uh, um, really small in scale because it's just like very few locations. It all takes place in just one place, you know, like the, the, the lab basically. Yeah. Um, and it just like does everything it can. Uh, with, with that one place. Yeah, but it was expensive as hell. It was like I think eighty oh, million. Yeah. yeah, eighty million dollars, and a lot of it comes from the fact that there's every ten minutes there's a brand new set piece, and it's not just a set. It's got to be flooded. It's got to be filled with all of pyrotechnics, and then they got to work, you know, with the the shark. That either I, I really don't know if they used any practical effects except for when they're actually doing the surgery. There's a lot of CGI in this, and the only time it really doesn't work is when they have to get the shark to swim fast and it's yeah. from the side like when they attack the smaller shark or when he's spinning around him it doesn't look that good but for the most part i, I was fucking blown away yeah I, I, I yeah well pretty much anytime the sharks are swimming especially when they were swimming backwards that was that was pretty bad <laughs> yeah but i mean you do you do with what you got and this right. is a different era um different time period and i think probably for the time it looks i mean still a lot of it does hold up and i remember when they were doing promotions for this and they said that thomas jane was going to be the next matthew mcconaughey this guy that they kind of he'd been around he'd been in a few movies but never really had anything where he starred in it and yeah. uh so they're like this is gonna be his big breakout role and it never really did happen for him it was years before punisher and then he pops up here and there, but it's mostly like real, barely released movies or direct-to-video. Yeah, which is such a shame. Because, yeah, I, I feel like whenever he shows up and he's really invested, holy shit, back, you know, like, what's the one that he did on Netflix, the Stephen King one, or, or 1922, I think is what it's called? Oh, I didn't see that. That is one of the I, weirdest... I mean, I'm just thinking about Boogie Nights now. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, Boogie Nights was right before this, and that's what got him reckoned, or you know, noticed by you know casting directors and stuff like that. But 1922, he gives a performance that's so off the wall, fucking bizarre, but great. 
Um, seriously, if you get Netflix, watch it. It's it's a fantastic movie, but it's a real low budget character study that truly haunts you. Thanks. Um, this one does not haunt you. It is just trying to have fun. Um, I feel like LL Cool J's role was really like as they were filming, they're like, ah, improv. We're gonna add more. We love you. You know, like you know, the studio yeah. probably saw because I feel like the he seems like the kind of guy they were gonna kill ten minutes into the movie, and they're like, no, this guy's fucking awesome. Keep him going. Yeah, it did seem like, because they had him completely separate from the cast, it does seem at one point he was just going to be kind of a one-off character, gets killed, and then the rest of the movie is going to be these guys. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, because he survives for the whole movie, um, but, like, he has almost nothing to do for most of it. If I remember correctly, um, the first test screening of it is that his character does die, and the female doctor lives. And the audiences were furious, not just because Ella Cool J was killed. It's that they saw her as the villain, which they're pretty much right. Well, yeah. Yeah. And that <laughs> they wanted the to that see. This whole thing. Yeah, so they went and reshot it where she gets killed. I still think it's strange that. She, I'm sorry to fast forward to the end, but she cuts her hand open and then dives into the water. Couldn't she just put her hand in the fucking water? That's what I was thinking too when she did that. That must—I think that's probably where the reshoots happened, right? Maybe, yeah, you know what? I bet you're right. She probably had her hand in there, and the shark came to it or whatever, and then she survived. And I was like, "Oh, you're you're just gonna go? Okay, that's on you, kid. <laughs> you made that choice." <laughs> yeah, like I I see that they were doing the redemptive arc. Literally, she had to choose between her life and her her work, and she chose her life. And like they they were setting up the whole, you know. The, the the forgiveness arc or whatever the redemption but it comes way too late in the story yeah uh and yeah i by the end i was like man i hope that chef survives <laughs> he, there's a really weird thing in this too because i think there were some scenes cut early on in the movie because i think they wanted to just get to the lab so the very early scene when she's talking to samuel jackson and ronnie cox ronnie cox doesn't have a single line of dialogue and you're talking about a guy who 10 years earlier he was the bad guy in Total Recall, in RoboCop. Yeah. He's in Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2. He was a name, and then nothing. Just staring off into the distance. Eh. <laughs> well, I mean, that, I mean, was he paid well for that, though? Well, I hope it, so, it, but... Is he the one that's really benefiting from this? Yeah, like, I, I guess, and especially, especially if his dialogue was shit. You know, like, uh, I don't want to... Yeah. No, sorry. Um, but yeah, every... every What I like also are these... It's kind of like Poseidon Adventure, um, yeah. where each room they would go into, or like Cube, I guess, um, they think they have the answer, you know, we'll go this way, we'll do this, whatever, and then there's always a wrench thrown in to ruin it, and they have to rethink. I like movies that don't have a straight answer, like they have to, well, fuck, okay, let's go figure this one out, let's try a different angle kind of thing. Yeah, it's like they look at the map of the boat, it's like, okay, we have to go down here, then to the right, then back up, and then they go to the door, and it's like about to burst with water, and like, okay, we have to fix this door, and then we have to come up with a new plan. Yeah, it's, you know what's funny? Always something. This would have been a good video game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like a little puzzle solving, oops, you open that one, now you're on fire. Oops, you open that one, you got eaten <laughs> by a shark. You know, like, a, it's not really a platformer, but like um, Tomb Raider, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um... But yeah, I, I just think it's really great. I, I do think Ella Cool J and Thomas Jane, are, even Michael Rappaport, just fun dialogue. They're, and usually in these kind of movies, the lead is the dull one and everybody else around him is entertaining. Um, I actually think Thomas Jane does shine. I think he gives 
his own little flavor to what could have been just a dull, thankless role. Yeah, I think everybody definitely has at least a moment where they do shine. Yeah, and that was something that like I really didn't expect that I was going to care about LL Cool J's character. Um, and then <laughs> scene where he's like filming himself and like kind of going through his life and the thing that he wants to leave behind is his omelet recipe. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's my guy. <laughs> I do wish they had given the female actors more to do. They wipe out two of the three almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah, and I will say the main girl, she is just dull. And there's a moment in this where they have her take off her clothes and I was like, that's just, I mean, that's fucking stupid. Like, there, there had to have been another way. <laughs> okay, I don't know if if it was meant to be artistic, if it was, like, a rebirth or something, like, getting out of the wetsuit and then using that as, like, a means to, like, survive the static shock. I don't know if it was meant to be artistic or if they're like, we need boobs in this movie. Yeah, I can I see one of them goes, no one watching this has got a boner yet. Redo yeah. this. <laughs> we want teenagers like- scared but with erections. <laughs> yeah, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, considering how they treated every other woman in the movie, they probably didn't. They probably weren't being artistic. Yeah, Rennie Harlan. Well, he is. See, that's the funny thing is, two of his major flops were very strong female lead movies: Cutthroat Island and Long Kiss Goodnight. So I want to say he's progressive, but I also know most of his movies are dunderheaded, like just not subtle in any way, mainstream junk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I've always been curious about his Exorcist movie, the the beginning, um, because they fired Paul Schrader when they turned when he turned in his cut, and they're like, ah, this isn't very fun, and they kept like twenty percent of the footage and just got Rennie Harlan to make this big special oh, effects bonanza. No. Yeah. So I'm curious because I love Paul Schrader. I yeah I I mean I'm, as a person he seems kind of like an asshole, but I mean he is a really good writer. Yeah. And I even liked. Uh, Oh, man, what was the one that he did with Oscar Isaac? Oh, yes, The Card Counter. That was great. Yeah, that was good. I I like that he does kind of these small character-driven stories. So, like, what would an Exorcist movie from Paul Schrader look like? I know. I'm just very curious. It is available. It's called... uh, So, the one that Rennie Harlan did cost $80 million because all the reshoots, and they added the budget from the first shoot. So it made like $30 million, and they're like, ah, fuck, we lost so much money. So what they did was they went back and grabbed the Paul Schrader cut, and they put that in theaters thinking that would be a hit, and they called it Dominion, uh, the prequel to Exorcist, and it made like (laughs) $900,000. Yeah. Well, I'm going to check it out. I mean, uh, that sounds interesting. I'm curious about all of the sequels, actually. I've only ever seen the first Exorcist. Yeah, me too. Um, so on this, there's two major things that make me laugh and also just, I, I can't help but relish. First off, the, the closing titles song by LL Cool J, <laughs> Deepest, oh Bluest, my, my head is like a shock thing. awesome. <laughs> I was so excited when that, when that started, because I was, I was watching it, my partner came in and started watching kind of the last half hour, and then the rap song came on and we both just lit up like this is incredible <laughs> I find it strange that I remembered every word I was like humming along with it and I was like wait I know these words <laughs> why <laughs> um I wish I was a DJ in like one of the coolest clubs in the world at the time this came out and can you imagine summer of 99 the big hit everybody think deepest bluest hat is like a shock spin <laughs> 
and everybody's just... That was it. That was the line that we were so, like, enthralled by. Like, what does that mean? I know, it doesn't... <laughs> well, if, you're, if your hat is like a shark's fin, your neck is hurting because you have to hold your head in a certain way to get it to come up like a shark's fin. <laughs> Right. It's just, it's, I don't know. There's like this imaginative, imaginative element to it that is so, that is so fun with that song. Yeah. And let's talk about the Samuel Jackson moment. Look, we know that's impossible. It is absolutely fucking impossible for that shark to jump out of that hole that high and grab his ass. It didn't grab his leg. It jumped up in the middle of a great speech and smashes his head into oblivion and drags his ass down. And I mean, it's, icon- it's iconic. Everyone knows. If, you do, if you've never seen the movie or don't even know of it, you know that scene. Yeah. This is us in the theater. What the fuck? Holy shit. That was great. Oh! <laughs> but it also shows you, you have no idea what's going to happen next. Because if they're going to do like, that, oh my God. <laughs> it throws convention out the window at that point. And that's, and that's also, I think, for me, when the movie starts getting really good. Yeah. It's just, yeah, because it is kind of stodgy and it has a lot of moments um, from Jaws 3. I know everybody hates Jaws 3, but I still think it's really entertaining, even though it's fucking stupid. Um, but I kept thinking, oh yeah, they did this in Jaws 3. Oh yeah, they did this in Jaws 3 too. Oh, okay. And then it becomes its own film. You know what was great about Jaws 3 is like the, the 3D image of the shark doesn't move. Yeah. It's so good. Okay, so... They added, they added like a glass shatter effect on, on that one. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, the, uh, when I was a kid, that's the only one that I had seen. Um, so there's a, a TV station around here now that I'm back home after all these decades. Um, there was a TV station here that was kind of one of the higher end stations, but it wasn't associated with any network at the time. And they had no money. They were real. You've seen UHF, right? With Weird Al. Yeah. It's like that. It was just this one dude with very little money. He had a kid's show with a fucking shitty frog puppet in the mornings, one at night. Did he throw animals out the window? No, not, but no. I was actually on his show, by the way, the Happy the Hobo show, um, where I froze on camera when he, I was the tallest kid in line, and he said, okay, when the, when I, when the light comes on, just say, we'll be right back, babe. And I said, what? And he goes, okay, go. And I was like, hey, we'll be right, we'll be right back, babe. And of course, my grandfather recorded it and thought it was oh, hilarious. Yes. Um, so it was in the, like the guy who owned the station. He did the news. You know, it was real low budget. So his budget for TV shows and movies was always like TV shows from the fifties and sixties that no one else wanted. Or you know, uh, and then he would buy packages of movies, and in them he would have a few known movies. No real hits unless they were from like the 60s and 70s that no one else wanted again. But he would get like, oh, we got the Jaws movie. Which one? The one that sucked. <laughs> um, we got the Canon movies. That's as, that's the best we have. So every weekend it was Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson. But then you would get like these really horrible, low budget, ho- you know, like uh, exploitation, Mad Max ripoffs and, you know, slashers and stuff like that. And that's what I grew up on. And that's why I am the way I am. <laughs> Okay, so I think we just completed our first therapy session. <laughs> American Ninja raised me. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> any anything you want to get out there about your weird taste in movies, how that became? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how it started. It just became. Yeah, Mystery Science Theater helped too. You know what? I never watched it. 
Oh wow, there's some gems in there. Oh, so now that they have the uh, Roger Corman catalog, it has been absolutely. Oh, and the Full Moon catalog. Oh. Mm. Um. So it actually, speaking of Roger Corman, I think that's where it started. I think I was so interested in getting the Fantastic Four movie that he did. Okay. Watching it and be like, "What the hell is this?" And then just kind of starting from there. Yeah, I think that's where I got to where I'm at. I will say this. The Thing in that Fantastic Four movie, pretty cool looking. It looks pretty good. Yeah, that's about it, though. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that's good. Yeah. Um, I love the waving hand. Oh, God, we should just we should watch Fantastic Four sometimes. Watch all the Fantastic Four movies and judge them quietly. Not so quietly. Um, okay, so we're on a bit of a time crunch, but we are going to try to watch all five Silent Night, Deadly Night movies. And I'm going to try to find the remake, too, but I don't know where that is right now. But I think that'll be a blast. I'm into it. Alrighty, so we'll be back in two shakes of a alligator's tail or something stupid. I'm not that funny, guys. Of a, of a shark spin that looks like my head. I don't know. It, 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 for the you younger kids, that was a stupid reference to a show called Love Connection with Chuck Woolery where he would always say, we'll be back in two shakes of a lamb's tail or something like that. And uh, it's weird. I just realized all of these movies somehow seem to have like a hardcore right-winger in it. John Boyd. Uh, Matthew Marsden, who's in the second Anaconda. Thomas Jane has revealed himself to be crazy. Um, uh, Lake Placid. Are we good? I think we're good with Lake Placid. I'm thinking. Uh, wait, yeah. can we go back to Thomas Jane? Really? Yeah, he about a year ago, he started cracking. Like, uh, there was a video of him like talking about all these crazy fucking conspiracy theories. And that's why a lot of studios <laughs> don't want to work with him because he's kind of out of his mind. Yeah. Well, do you remember when he got drunk at the MTV Movie Awards and went on a rant about not being in the next Punisher movie? Okay. Well, to be fair. (laughs) Yeah, but you're on national television and you're intoxicated. That's probably a bad thing to do. Yeah. (laughs) But he was really good. I would be understand being upset by that. Seriously, he's so entertaining. The the Predators. Look, I know the Predator. I mean, the one that came out like five years ago. I know it bombed. I know it's kind of a mess, but his performances go amazing. He should have been the lead in that movie, by the way. What's that? He always puts in 110%. Yeah, it's it's great. Except for, I want to know about that Money Plane movie where he clearly showed up for a day and he's just, yeah. He was in Money Plane? He's in a Money Plane. They gave him $100,000 for one day of shooting where he sits in a room with a game controller or whatever trying to guide the plane or something like that. I I don't know if I want to watch this movie. (laughs) Dude, okay, I'm going to watch this. Kelsey Grammer. Uh, some wrestler and now Thomas Jane. I am gonna watch this. Directed by Joey Lawrence's little brother. If you know, oh, if you know who that is, I don't know who that is. Joey Lawrence was a big deal in the nineties. His his catchphrase was "Whoa." <laughs> I'm not shitting you. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a hit record called "My Love Ain't Enough Enough for You, Baby" or something like that. He was known for his hair, and now he sprays his hair on. <laughs> Okay, yeah, this is going to be glorious. I got it. Yeah, this is great. We've gone off on a tangent here, people. Uh, all right, so we'll be back with the Silent Night, Daily Night franchise for Garbage Day.